0: I remember we had 70,000 active users at that time. So it was very stressful because one day, Friday morning, we received a call say, hey, something happened. You have until Monday to figure out another partner and just switch all the accounts, everything that you have to another bank partner. When we have a lot of capital, we can raise a lot of capital users, just think, hey, hire like, 10 brilliant people put them together and everything will happen, right? Magic. And that's not true. Even brilliant people, they need time to understand the product, to commit their mistakes, and then start to the deliver. When I have 2,000 employees, it's very easy to feel comfortable with six month deadline for everything, right? And when we talk with the startup, they're starting right now and say, hey, we launched this in six days. It's oh, fuck, I need to change.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Fintech Leaders coming to you from New York City. I'm your host Miguel Armasa and I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early stage fintech entrepreneurs in the US, Canada and Latin America. If you enjoy this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your shows so more people can learn about Fintech Leaders. Today, I bring you a very special recording with Pedro Conrade, CEO and founder of Neon, one of the largest digital banks in Brazil and Latin America. We sat down on stage in Sao Paulo at the Gilgamesh Venture Summit, an annual meeting where we gather limited partners, founders, co-investors, and friends for a series of events and discussions about the future of financial services serving almost 20 million clients. Neon is one of the largest fintech companies in the world, and without a doubt, Pedro is among the most inspiring figures I know. Every time I talk to him, I come out with a shot of motivation and positivity. In this episode, we discuss how an overdraft fee infuriated Pedro and inspired him to launch Neon why major crises and tough moments help build a more resilient company, Neon's M&A strategy, insights from five company acquisitions, and many more company building lessons for founders. All right. I think we are just about ready to get started with an exciting part of the program. And I think we're in for a real treat because we have Pedro Cogade. I I always get the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Close, but not quite. Uh, But Pedro is is a rock star um, and he's a a true fintech leader. And Pedro, I don't know if you know this, but almost four years ago, we recorded a podcast and it was over the phone. The sound quality wasn't great. But it was my first ever reporting (laughs) and ever since we've had about 260 uh, other podcasts with over 300 uh, individuals but you know going back to that first one it really inspired me to like wow i i want to do this i want to do more of this and it was maybe because you're so nice and you're so open with your story and it was so inspiring so it was a great start And so I'm glad that we we now get to have the update, right? Uh, Because a lot has happened. So please, Pedro. So uh, first of all, thanks to Pinheiro Neto for hosting us uh, on this amazing day of our Yield Summit that happens once a year. And we try to bring people from really all over the world to hear about some of the amazing developments that are going on in the industry that we call FinTech. And, And then Pedro, so before we talk about Neon, which is an amazing story, I want to first talk about how old were you when you got started, Neon? So again, thanks for the
0: invitation. I remember the podcast four years ago. A lot has happened since then. Good things, bad things, uh, usually more bad things, but the good ones are bigger than the bad ones. Right? Like four days bad news, one day good news. Usually it's what happens with entrepreneurs. I was 23 when I started. I'm 31, two kids. So, a few, a few puppies. Yeah, like a lot of puppies, six dogs. And I was 23, I had no idea, to be honest, what I was doing. And it's funny that we're here in Pernato because if it was not for them, Neon would never exist. They were the ones that uh, Bruno and Leonardo, they were the ones that made this possible to understand regulation at the time and finding
1: a way to start a digital account. So it's it's good to be here. So what was it that as a 23-year-old inside you convinced you that, you know what? I'm going to drop out of college because you did eventually and I'm going to go compete against the large multi-billion dollar multinational banks. The question is why?
0: Lack of responsibility. (laughs) Absolutely. I had no idea how challenging this was. And, And to be honest, I think the only reason why we started is because I had no idea how difficult it would be. But then you like you fight like everyday battles, and one by one, at some, some point you look back and see, "Hey, yeah, we have something here. Let's keep doing it. Let's don't think about super long term, otherwise we'll like, freeze." But I was very unhappy with the level of service that the big banks used to provide at the time. Eight years ago, the word "fintech didn't exist in Brazil. There were no angel investors. I uh, was just crazy people that give a portion of the bonus to to young kids to try something. So it was there was almost nothing. One of the only funds like we have two or three funds here like in Brazil. But I was very frustrated with the level of service that you, the the traditional banks used to offer. And I decided to, to build something that would help me and my friends and people at the time I used to make three hundred dollars a month, so paying $200 a year in banking fees, just have a check of account was crazy money for me. So I, I had an idea. I saw Simple Bank in the U.S. at the time where Simple Bank was one of the first digital banks globally, I even mean from this new generation. And I said, hey, I could do something like this, connect a prepaid debit card with an app. Every time you use your card, you see the transactions. This should not be that difficult. And then everything started.
1: It's interesting because the company that bought Simple Bank is your investor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Funny story, right? Because <laughs> when I was thinking about, so, so what happened is, so the click was when I, I had this bank account with one of the incoming banks and I uh, used my debit card, 26 reais, but I had 27, but I had 26 bank account balance. And then I used so one real, my overdraft. When I looked at my account, I had 47 reais negative. So what happened? Was just 27 RISE. And then there was a fee for using revolving credit. I think, I mean, it was super expensive. And then I decided, okay, okay, no monthly fees for users. Let's start something very simple and more transparent. And yeah. then when I had this idea, I said, hey, I should talk with the guys from SimpleBake, but they were recently acquired by BBVA. So I connected with the guys from BBVA and said, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And I said, okay, I'm not the guy. like look very young yeah it's, it's nice we like the pieces that's why we part a simple bank and say okay I'm going to build one here in Brazil and then four years later I knocked on the door again and said hey do you remember me it's me and they said yeah but it's too small we have a corporate venture fund that does the, the the investments of this size it was called Propel so they led Series A together with Monarchies, and then they were the only one that did all the pruradas so Series so A, B, C, and happens that BBVA directly invested in the Series D. So, yeah, yeah, the biggest shareholder today
1: and very good partner. We're going to talk about how Neon looks today, which is a a company of 2,000 people and, you know, it's essentially a financial ecosystem. But the role there, as you just mentioned, hasn't been easy and you've gone through, as you described that I remember a few years ago, some high highs some low lows. but love to hear about some of the biggest challenges you encountered and maybe a lot of one that was around the Series A.
0: Yeah, and Fernando, who's here from Pernanato, can help with this question, also because he spent two nights not sleeping, trying to save the company with me. So after Series A, so, so the way we started the business was with a partnership with another bank, like a very small bank from Minas Gerais. They had an issue with the central bank and their alliances was shut down. At the time we landed our name neon to the bank. So all the news were like Banco Neon is was shut down by central bank. I remember we had seventy thousand active users at that, that time. So it was very stressful because one day Friday morning we received a call say hey something happened. You have until Monday to figure out another partner and just switch all the accounts, everything that you have, to another bank partner. Three days. Yeah, three days. And we used every single minute, an hour, <laughs> from those three days. I think we had a great team, support from great lawyers that helped us, and we were able to make this transition. And it was funny, because on Saturday, everything, the app was out. People could use their money, but they could not access the app. So they could use the card and do go to ATM and, and withdraw some cash. But people were complaining. Hey, I I want to open an account. Why cannot I open? An account? I say, Hey, did they read the news? Like the bank was shut down. Like we still figuring out a way to, to solve this. But unfortunately, we were able to put the bank live again on Monday. And from that moment on, we got so I think so strong after going through a situation like this. The team delivered like ten times more than we used to deliver. And then with so many things happened after that. I mean, this was a very chronic one, but uh, every day you have challenges. I think Can you well, I alluded to this
1: a little bit, but it sounds like this experience changed you and maybe changed the company how you look at things. Yeah, I lost 30%
0: of my hair. And yes, so one thing that we're discussing here with Ben, fintech is very complex. We're dealing with people's money. And I mean, the moment you start a company, there's someone trying to fraud you, someone trying to know the rules to get a credit and run away into get into your app and you know there's so many problems relating to dealing with people money so it's, it's super complex that situation helped us to see how critical it is to have a digital account to have a bank like a financial institution so we would double down in like i mean i was 25 when this happened and i mean to hear the word compliance governance was something like what what is this but at the time i mean we could uh, Learn from someone else's problem at the time was not our problem. We were involved, but it was not our problem. How important it was to build everything the right way from the beginning. So it was a important lesson for us that helped us to build the company in a solid way until now. But it's still challenging. I mean, market is competitive. Everything's happening. Interest rates are high. The rates are high. So we're still facing a lot of everyday, we have everyday a different fight.
1: How does the company look today? In terms of team, in terms of product, and other things, you like to highlight.
0: So, I think we have. It took me, we're now eight years old. It took me seven years to have like a dream team. And it's I know this now, but I th- I always think if I had the same team that I have today when I started the company, the story would be different. It could be ten times bigger. But fortunately, we have now, right? So we have. I mean, we have 2,000 people, we have three offices that only ghosts go there, like it's all remote. We have an office here in Sao Paulo, uh, we have an office in Bay Area. This was a very important move we did last year to start to hiring very experienced ICs, so distinguished engineers, principal engineers, data scientists. We have three C-levels there. So from a diversity perspective of bringing people from India, Russia, China, we have like two of the C-levels. They are not Brazilian. So this is helping a lot to bring different kind of knowledge. So team-wise, I think we have the best moment of the company. Otherwise, we also found ourselves. I mean, usually the digital banks, they, they start with, pretty much with the same product set, digital accounts, credit cards, investment savings account. So usually they all look the same. After a couple of years that you have the minimal product set in place, we start to develop products that differentiate ourselves from competitors. So that's our moment. We understood that to serve low income population, you have to have smarter products. So the way we think about it is, we have a cash in to credit strategy. So we try to connect any kind of collateral, it can be a soft collateral or hard collateral, to a credit product. So you have people to manage. The credit lines better more responsibility so for example a secured credit card it's performing super super well it's the main product today so we ask people to deposit 100 eyes and then we leverage this 100 rise to 200 300 400 over the couple of the first couple of months so people say to have credit first there's a friction in the beginning so it's harder than selling credit credit cards. But once they do this, it's super powerful and healthy for their financial education. And also the payroll loan. We became one of the largest players of payroll loan in Brazil that is a very responsible credit. So people with low financial education, you have to help them to have access to credit with the right
1: product, not just giving credit away. One thing that we haven't talked to, Pedro, is the fact that you have been acquisitive as a company, and this is not very common. I would say, not just in, in Brazil but around the world, it's it's not heard of people do it, but it's also not the most common thing as a even Series A, B, C company to go out and acquire in some cases meaningful sized companies. So, talk about your acquisition strategy and what have you learned after. Is it four acquisitions? Oh, five, five acquisitions. I mean, I'm a huge fan of doing great
0: acquisitions. It's very tough to find like the perfect match because it's a big responsibility for us and also for the, the entrepreneur that is coming in. With five M&As, until now, Meifasti, Consigamise, Biot, Levi, and Magliano. Two of them were related to having the license that we need, so a brokerage house and a bank license. And the other three was because of the business. So I'm a huge fan of M and A's, especially because what we try to find is the great team led by a, a great entrepreneur that sometimes is struggling because you know, to be entrepreneur is always tough, right? So you so have to fundraise, you have to take care of so many things at the same time. But in those cases, they have great product, they have good product market fit, clients. And, but they need some boost with like balance sheet, more client base, for example. So till now i'm I'm very happy with the ones we did and i'm I'm very active, especially now where have great companies suffering because they could not raise. so we will keep doing
1: this for sure. We've been running around town with the team throughout the week, meaning portfolio companies, companies around the ecosystem and- there's always a conversation that people are having about should we maybe make an offer? Should we consider MA? What have you learned about successfully integrating the team once you bring them onto the, I guess, the neo-culture?
0: I mean, we learned by community mistakes, right? So the first one was a disaster. The first M&A, we, we did everything wrong. We tried to integrate everything so fast that... The team that was performing great their their business, they now had to think to worry about like a bigger company bureaucracy. And that was, we we'll learned a lot from that one. So the other four, I mean, I think we did very well. I mean, there are different strategies, but the way we like to do is, so the whole company works in business units. So we have four business units that run separately, independently. They have their own CEO, CFO, CTO all the C-levels, they have their own p they have to have trusted gross margin, each of them. And so once we integrate the new company, we try to replicate this. So usually the new companies, they come as a new business unit where we try to get rid of things that they should not think about as fundraising, treasury, all the compliance, all so the stuff we have, this to support them. So they can not think about this anymore and only focus on drawing the business as fast as they can. Removing road blockers and just let them free. And usually what happens is that those entrepreneurs who start to perform even better than we're performing, and we start to send some products that we have in house and are not performing that well. So hey, you know, you're doing so great that take this and uh and fix it and, and do it better. So We learned by committing mistakes, by doing, and I think now we know how
1: to do it. So you were just describing how the product looks today. And and it's really a financial ecosystem at this point, maybe even a super app. Internally, what's your process like with your team to figure out where to move next? How do you make these key decisions internally?
0: I think... This is just the most difficult thing today. I think another big mistake that I could in the beginning was trying to do everything at the same time with no quality, with not knowledge and, and sophistication. So we did 10 different things, none of them very, very well. And then from like two years now, we decided, hey, let's just focus on a few things and do them like perfectly and forget about the, all the opportunities we could think about, but just making sure we deliver those ones with like perfection. So, I mean, nowadays, everything goes to a, such a large scrutiny to, to be launched, that it's almost impossible to launch something new. But I think that's good, honestly. I mean, we just need one perfect shot. Any of our products can be a billion dollar business, any of the products, there's a huge market. So the trade-off of should we invest in this product to start something new? It's always complex discussion. And then I'll go back to their previous question. That's why I also like M&As because we have someone already focused on this for two, three, four, five years. And then instead of starting from scratch in-house, you just take someone who is doing this and boost them.
1: So before lunch, we had a panel where we were actually talking about talent in Brazil and how you know there's plenty of talent but it's not always trained to exactly what you want to do, right? You're a large company at this point, 2,000 people. What has been the approach? And how different is it from when you, back, you know, eight years ago when you started to find the right talent? Probably this is the biggest learn for me. I mean, we
0: are now, since we brought this new guy, André, that runs our Bay Area office, He's a very experienced guy in technology for 20 years. And he brought this new concept, hey, we have so many junior people in the company. Why? I mean, junior people, takes two, three, five years to start to give back all the investment the company is making. So we started to bring only more senior people. So the balance now is fewer people. We had more than 2,000. Then we were cutting and cutting every day. I think we should have less than 2,000, but from a payroll cost maybe will increase a bit because we're bringing very senior people that can bring explanation results. Another thing that I also learned is that when we have a lot of capital, we can raise a lot of capital leaders just think hey hire like 10 brilliant people put them together and everything will happen, right? Magic. And that's not true. Even brilliant people, they need time to understand the product, to commit their mistakes, and then start to deliver. So I learned that scaling is not that easy, especially because it's very hard to scale talent. So usually talent people, you just bring them from one mission to another mission. It's very risky to hire a new talent expecting that they're going to solve all your problems, right? It takes time for you to trust them and for them to feel comfortable to deliver what they need to deliver so I mean I learned a lot and if I would start today again I hate this kind of sentence because you cannot start again for the same business but if I could I would hire like a third of the people that I, I have hired more senior like not that fast because I think less people more experienced can deliver
1: much more than a lot of people going around no idea what they're doing Earlier today, we heard from Tavio Damaso from the central bank. And I think I speak for all non Brazilians, but many people were blown away by just like the sophistication of the central bank and also their approach of collaboration with fintechs. Would love to hear your experience navigating you know, the realtor environment and dealing with the central bank.
0: Yeah, I've been through good moments and then it was very close to a bad situation that's been discarded here. With a, I, was, I was there see everything that happened. I think that's the unique thing about Brazil, how the Central Bank takes care of the market and take the lead in new kind of regulations that allow competition, new players to come. Like so I don't know any other country in the world has so many different licenses to allow competition to happen. you know the payment institution and the credit light credit institution and all these kind of different licenses. and the way this more the way to picks and now the the tracks so it's unstoppable right? They're launching things and I mean central banks like around the world can say something political or uh, but here they are you see that over the years they're committed and it is true, right? They are really committed to competition to improve conditions for everyone to compete. Because at the end, it's good for consumers and for the companies, right? Then with a more environment, you have better prices, better service. And look at what happened in the last 10 years in Brazil. It's insane. It's insane. Brazil was always ahead compared to other markets, but it's insane how it evolved Even ahead, we're not waiting for things to happen. They are taking the lead in launching everything. So I feel very fortunate to start the company here. At the time, this move of new a different kind of license was just starting, so I was the first wave of a new like payment institutions. Also, PieroNet helped me a lot during this moment, and I think this is very unique. That's why Brazil has so many strong fintechs that are becoming global and, and even better than usually U.S. is the benchmark, but now Brazil is becoming benchmark for fintechs.
1: That's a global example. I, you used to hear of missions of trips going to China, going to Silicon Valley, other places to learn about what was going on. Not on, well, first of all, we have a lot of people here, but I'm also hearing of other missions, call it, of entrepreneurs visiting Brazil to learn what's going on, not just from the Central Bank, but from from you and from other companies. So it's amazing But we have entrepreneurs in the room and also listening who are actively raising capital or getting ready to. You've gone through multiple rounds. I'm sure none of those was easy. None. (laughs) What have you learned about raising capital from VCs? It's always harder than it
0: seems. Some people take for granted that they will be able to raise. Now they have a runway for like six months, and they say, no, 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 we will raise. The chances, the odds are against us, right? So many companies, so many opportunities the funds have to choose sometimes we have we were not able to do that great beach at that day maybe you lost it I mean don't take it for granted that's one to try to be less dependent of capital, then probably you're the best target for capital right that's another thing. some business model like digital bank is very hard to start without capital right you have all but if you're able to find the perfect niche to start that requires less capital, will be more attractive for new captain coming in. Third, I personally never had the experience of pitching a fund for the first time. And a month later, they decided to write a chat. It was always building the relationship for years. As I mentioned, BBVA, like I met them like more than three years before they invested first time. I remember the first meeting I had with General Atlantic, I was asking for $300,000. And I said, hmm, Do you know where, where you are? Where, I mean, here's like 30 million to start. I said, Okay, you're through life, so I'll come back here and ask for some money. But then I always, always proving execution, right? So I'm going to deliver this with this amount of money. And then after a year, you get there and say, Hey, no, I over delivered what I promised you. And then create this relationship with the funds. the long term I think
1: is the best way of raising capital so it will happen and now you have at times found yourself on the other side I know that you love to mentor entrepreneurs and and also you're an angel investor sounds like you enjoy also that part a little bit bit.
0: I'm not a mentor at all I mean I, I don't feel prepared to be a mentor I try to help somehow and sometimes it's why become an angel investor sometimes is introducing someone. To be honest, I sometimes feel like selfish during helping those other companies because usually I learn more with them than they, they learn with me. It's important that we don't lose the grip of how to start a business. That's that's one thing. When I have 2,000 employees, it's very easy to feel comfortable with six-month deadline for everything, right? And when we talk with a the startup, they're starting right now and say, hey, we launched this in six days. I say, oh, fuck, I need to change. I need to change it I was it I'm gonna die, so I do try to help, but I ended up learning more than helping so yeah, unfortunately I'm with you now we have a great pipeline of companies, so I'm always updating what what's going you know, on out there so yeah, I try to be always
1: connected well but I know that we are first of all we're, we're super excited to to have you order in, in many capacities and your introductions have been some of the best you are clearly surround yourself with hungry, humble, smart people. And, you know, we're, we're just extremely happy to have you in the team. And, and also thank you for joining us for this amazing, amazing discussion. And, and thanks for everything you've done. And congrats for what you're doing and thanks for the invitation. And I
0: mean, you're not resilient, but you're becoming one. You know, more people here than sometimes they are here for years. So, congrats for your local presence. Footprint is like, uh, you're doing great. Congrats. Thank you, Ben.
1: Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this great live episode with Pedro Conrade, CEO of Neon. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off, till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.